Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I have a fantastic guest, a guest none other. We haven't had a guest like this on the Path 11 podcast in I don't know how many years, and I'm not sure why not, but it's going to be really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to it because I have a lot of personal questions that I would like to ask our guest. My guest today is Father Nathan Castle, and he is a Catholic priest. He graduated from Trinity University in San Antonio and entered the Dominican order in 1979. I was two years old. <laughs> I was born in 77. He received MA and Master of Divinity degrees from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California. He was director of the Catholic communities at Stanford University and Arizona State University. He believes the Holy Spirit has given him a night job of helping souls who died suddenly and violently find afterlife peace. He is the author of An Toto to The Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure and Afterlife Interrupted. There's two books, book one and two, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. So I am ready for this show. Welcome, Father Nathan. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So a little bit of my background, I, I do have a little bit of a background in the Catholic religion. So my family came from that. But the Catholic Church kind of put a bad taste in my mom's mouth when she wanted to get me baptized, but she wasn't a consistent churchgoer. So I remember going to catechism. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I know my Hail Marys, my Our Fathers. Mm -hmm. I say those prayers and have a belief in God. And but I don't have a great understanding totally of the Bible or, you know, some of the well, I would say. I do have a pretty good understanding of some of the Catholic traditions because my grandmother was very Catholic. And so that was kind of like my base of religion growing up. So I'm really interested to hear, oh, how has the church approved your work and how did this all begin? Because I would like to know a little bit more about what the Catholic church believes in regards to being able to talk to lost souls or stuck souls and bringing them into the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I was, I am, am like you, Catholic from birth, and perhaps unlike you, my family was at church all the time. <laughs> both of my dad's siblings, both of his sisters were nuns and taught first grade, and they belonged to the same order that I'm now a member of. So I was around that. Their mother lived next door, and she was a Catholic mystic. She was just somebody that talked to St. Anthony and she got St. Joseph the carpenter, Jesus's father, to help her rewire her house. She just lived in this spiritual realm very naturally. And then my mom was just a great believer. Not, they, so they weren't just teaching me the externals of our religion, you know, dietary rules and other kind of rules and such. They were teaching me how to live on two planes. I was taught that I had a family on earth and a family in heaven. And before sleep, we talked to our family in heaven. So she would, you know, tuck me in at night. And then even before I knew the alphabet or whatever, she was teaching me a call and response. She would, I would repeat after her blessings and pray for people. And a blessing was kind of like a gift that you could give to somebody and they, they could either live in your house or in the next state over or in the afterlife. It didn't matter. You could send them a blessing. And so I learned how to do that. And we, there was, we prayed for people that had already died. We didn't know what they needed exactly, but we wanted to give them whatever it was they needed. Kind of like a gift card, you know, <laughs> you don't know what people are going to spend it on. They, you just, you want them to have the means to get something for themselves or to advance in some way. So I was doing that as a little kid. So this has been a part of my life always. The part about having them talk back clearly and through me, that came a little late later but it was all kind of consistent of a piece. Okay, so can you give me just a little a more background too on being a Catholic priest and is the work that you do, is this supported by the church 
in helping souls cross over? Or is there, is this, was this not really accepted or something that the church would support? Well, maybe a little bit about the church is 1.4 billion people. They don't all know me and not everybody, you know, is, so finds this topic, something that they're comfortable with. But I have a vow of obedience inside my religious order. We're, we're actually the world's oldest democracy. The, the Magna Carta in England was, was taken from our constitutions. We elect our leaders. And in the time that my two books on this topic have come out, there've been two different provincials, that's what they're called. And each of them know me and, and have supported my work in writing. At, at the beginning of each of the books, there's um, you know an endorsement just kind of vouching for me. That's all I really need. Okay. And have you had any people like condemn your work or say he's not doing the work of God? And yes, I have. You are the devil in disguise. And <laughs> I've had some of that. I've ha had, uh, some, you know, this is not the only work that I do, but it's the one that podcasters are most interested to talk about. So I'm, as this, as I make this message known, I've sometimes been disinvited from speaking events or things when people learn about this part of my ministry, but I only want to go where I'm welcome anyway. So that's, that's okay. And then the rest of it, you know, we always have to choose whether or not to believe what another person tells us. It just happens that this topic is one that kind of stretches people's ability to, to imagine. And so not everybody believes that what I'm doing is authentic or good, but I do, <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. Well, you are very welcome here on our platform. So, and I Why, know that you. our audience will enjoy this conversation. So, yes. so yeah. So, let's go into a little bit of you know when did this all begin to begin for you? Because my understanding is that souls who are stuck started coming to you to elicit your help to help them move them over into the afterlife and find more peace. Yes, that's well put. This specific work that I talk about in these two books began about 25 years ago. I'm 66 years old and I've been a priest for 37 of those. And when I was in my early 40s, I was on a retreat with a group of people. I live in Arizona. We were up in the mountains. And during the night, I had a dream that began as my own dreamscape. We talked just before going live about golf and I was playing in the, in the dream. I was finishing a round of golf, went into the, into the bar, the 19th hole golfers call it. And with, I was with a companion and we, we walked into a silent auction. Well, I've run nonprofits most of my life and silent auctions are one of the, you know, ways to raise money. You donate some item and people buy it and in this auction, there was this nasty piece of art across the way on the wall. And I just thought it was so horrid that I needed to get a closer look at it. And I began, I called my companion's attention to it and said, look at that awful thing over there. Who would donate that to a charity? And I, as I walked toward it to see it, it, it moved toward me. And it was way before we had televisions on walls, but it was like one and it moved toward me. And then inside the frame a little video kind of began to play and it was a man on fire on the engine of a car. He wasn't in a wreck. Somehow he was maybe repairing a car or something, but in any way he, he was in, on, and he was burning and screaming and angry at somebody. And I woke up and I thought, wow, the first part was my dream. <laughs> The second part was not. And so whoever you are, I just made the sign of the cross and said, my name is Nathan. This is what I think I just saw. Don't leave until I get this down in writing. Cause it, that was the message I could tell that, I, you know, priests often have to take turns wearing a pager or having a pager on the nights in case there's an emergency at the hospital and somebody wants a priest in the middle of the night. So I've gotten used to in my uh, priestly life of being awakened in the middle of the night by somebody at a nurse's station. And you have to shake yourself out of grogginess and quickly get the details and the room number and stuff. It felt like that. Like I was just contacted because I'm needed, but it came in this other way. Okay. So, so that happens, the dream happens. Yeah. And how do you move forward uh, beginning to have an understanding that the, that this was a soul coming to talk to you and eliciting your help? Did you have repeated dreams? Yeah, they come about once a week. And so, and it's been 25 years. So I, now I have a feel for it. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I can tell that, like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. There might be people that attempt to reach me in a dream and I sleep through it or forget or something. But about once a week, there's a contact dream, I call them. I, 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 I talk about having a dream when it's my own stuff and receiving a dream when it's a message coming to me in the night. And they, they come in the night, they show me what they want me to see. And the people that I help are almost always people who died abrupt, sudden, violent deaths. I very rarely get people that die in their sleep, minor, you know, sudden change. And so I write it down. I get with a prayer partner and schedule a time with a prayer partner in person or during the pandemic. It's mostly been on Zoom. And we go into protected prayer. That's very important to me. I don't pick up hitchhikers on earth or in the afterlife. And that's what people are sometimes nervous about. This kind of thing is that the devil is, you know, going to get in the middle of it. And I believe that's possible. That's why I'm so cautious about myself and my partners when we go into this realm. It's, it's just a Catholic practice to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I use St. Michael the Archangel, Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus, St. Benedict, a number of other saints. And I think of it as creating like a huddle of light and grace, uh, being surrounded like football players making a huddle. And, and only then do I um, say we're available to help this person. I read the story that I wrote down as I received it so that my prayer partner can get it. I record them all. And so we usually pause the recording and sit still. And I read it a second time, like once for the mind and once for the heart, or to allow it to kind of seep almost like a tea bag when you first put it in the water. Let's be still and let this soak through and make sure that I'm as attuned as I can be. And then I just, I asked the guardian angel of that person would you give us some clarity because dreams have a kind of, they have on the one hand, they convey ideas, but they can also be sort of vague or they're symbolic. And so maybe you read the symbol, right? Maybe you didn't. So we ask for clarity of, of anything. For example, a person could have died in a car crash, but you, they didn't really indicate to you whether they were male or female. So which is it? Are we in the United States? Cause it felt like we were in somewhere else. Sometimes the story has lots of people in it. So are we helping only one person or are we going to help more than one person today? So we ask for a little clarity and the guardian angels are so sweet. They all come through right away and I can allow them to speak through me, which is the part that some people find very problematic. I think it belongs to prophecy. Have you ever been to a Christian service, maybe a Catholic mass? And there's a reading from the prophet Isaiah, for example, and the, the prophet is speaking in his or her own language. And then at some point they shift into God speaking through them. I've heard of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's it's common to Judaism and Christianity that the prophet will be talking about something and then will I statements begin to come through. I am the Lord, your God. I want you to stop oppressing the poor, something like that. It's still the prophet's voice, but it's the voice of God moving through them. I believe that this gift is a prophetic gift. And so anyway, the guardians come through and they give a little clarity. All right. So just to be clear, when you're having these dreams and you're able to distinguish them between yours, yeah. when you come out of the dream state, you write the story down, you I, go into prayer when you're awake. So you're not actually doing any type of lucid dreaming where you're in the dream state and possibly helping the person in that moment in the dream state to crossover or to find peace. No, it's it, it, not very often. Once in a while, there's might be something like that, but the, and the, what I've written about in my books is really not that it's, it's waking up and then going and making an appointment later and, and having a, a little session where we help the person out. Have you ever had the experience where after you said a prayer for this person, did you ever go back to sleep, you know, in any part of your life and the person would revisit you again and thank you? I had somebody come a second time because they wanted to make sure that I got it the first time. <laughs> gotcha. No, we end up talking, we don't tell any of their stories in public without their permission, mm -hmm. but the session that we have to help them move along across is not the appropriate time to be saying, Hey, before you go, I'm writing a book, you know, it just seems to be, uh, you know, a little self-serving. So 
when we decided that it felt right to write a book about this, we went back and made a list of people that we thought we'd like to tell their stories and ask their permission. And mm -hmm. we thought we'd get a yes or no answer because it's a yes or no question. But mm -hmm. in addition to that, we got little updates from people. Oh, interesting. Which was very sweet. That wasn't mm -hmm. necessary, but just kind of a gift and a little bit of, hey, so what's been going on since you, you, you and I might do that if we were to meet again, you know, I, this is our first time to meet, but if we were to meet later, we might catch each other up on what's been going on. Well, that, sure. that just that happens pretty naturally. And those, those sessions are also recorded and they're also in the books. Okay. So I want to go back to the protective prayer and talk a little bit about that, because like you said, you do believe in the devil and that there can be hitchhikers in the spirit world yeah. that you don't want to pick up. Now, is some of that attached to a strong belief, belief system in the Catholic religion that there are indeed evil entities. And if you have a belief system that there is evil in the world, then it would be good to be able to have a system like prayer or calling in saints or calling in protection and surrounding yourself in order for you to feel safe to be able to do this work. So I, I guess my question is, how do we how do we know that evil, in your opinion, really does exist? Or is this just a belief system that you hold that in turn could eventually manifest because energy follows thought? And you if you believe that there is evil, then there then that could manifest for you as an experience. Well, that there's evil is self-evident because there's crime all over the place and wars and, you know, horrible stuff that people do to each other. So that there's evil is seems to me is self-evident. The question of are there are there entities other than humans that cause it? You know, we know that there are human beings that do evil things. Are there other kinds of beings, spiritual beings like that too? Is that isn't that your question? I guess yeah. I guess that's yeah, yeah. And 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 tied to the belief that there are in there is indeed evil that exists not in human form. Uh, I'm trained in Thomas Aquinas. Some of your audience might be familiar with. He he follows Aristotle and and really a brilliant mind. He taught that evil is the evil doesn't have existence. It's but it's the absence of a good. That here's how I was taught that God created only good. If you know the first page of the Bible, you know God creates anything and then stands back from it and said it's good and it's very good. That everyone is well made, it's just that some people, at least at present, are behaving badly. You might have had to do this in your personal life. Maybe there's been people that have mistreated you and you want to hate them, except you don't want to become a hater. So, so how do you do that? Well, you, you look for the good even in people that treat you badly right. or you hope for the good or something, pray for the good. So I, I do, I, I do believe that there are some spiritual beings, angels that are behaving badly, at least at present. And I need to keep myself and those who are helping me safe from them. Gotcha. I don't okay. need to hate them. I just, right. I just need to say, you're not welcome here, you know? Yeah. And I asked the question because I sometimes get confused. I mean, I interviewed so many different people of so many different walks of life and different faiths. And I have heard the range of there is nothing but love. And some people say that they have never encountered a negative being, an entity ever in doing spiritual work or prayer. And then I have on the complete extreme of exorcism and demonic forces and devils. And it's kind of like, well, Okay, what's what? How come you can have some people that have never experienced evil and some people that experience both and some people that will tell you without a shadow of a doubt from their experience that these evil entities do exist? So that's why I asked the question. Sure. Well, I've dealt with them and I, I know them to be real. But like you, I go to conferences and stuff where I'm the only Catholic priest and I might be the only person in the world with my worldview, I mean, only person in the room, but I... I can listen respectfully to other people and contribute what I have to say. Okay, so this kind of moves forward to my next question because I've had a lot of confusion around my mother's passing, which was pretty tragic. Most of my audience knows what has happened, but if we do have a listener that's tuning into this podcast for the first time, my mother was crossing the road late at night on October 19th of 2019 and was struck by a car and died instantly on the site. My mom also had a pretty, I would say, tortured life of 
addiction of getting sober and then not. And at the time of her death, she was under the influence of alcohol, according to the autopsy report. And she also had some other medications that were prescribed for her for antidepressants, things like that in her system. So she wasn't completely of her right mind at the time of death. And plus the death was a, a pretty strong impact and not the way that we tend to like to hear that people die. You know, it seems like everybody would maybe prefer somebody lives, you know, a life where they have kind of like a slow and peaceful death, but this seemed to be pretty violent. And, you know, this was one of the reasons that I was really curious to have you on the podcast, hearing the work that you've done, because I have heard a variety of different theories that when people commit suicide or if they die of overdose and addiction or car accidents, or it is somewhat of a brutal death or they're murdered, that the souls can get lost or they can get stuck or they can get earthbound. And after my mom had passed, I was very curious, you know, what, where did her soul go? Is she okay? Is she at peace? Is she earthbound? Did she go right to the light? And so I consulted a couple of different mediums and healers, and I did, you know, in my own meditation, kind of a search for her soul. And I've had many different dreams. Some were peaceful, some were not peaceful of her coming to me and speaking to me in dreams. And it has been a confusing journey for me. Yeah. And I've had some people tell me, you know, she is at peace. She is at soul. You know, the impact and the way that she died was a beautiful blessing for her. It released all of her karma and she's in the light and she is safe. I've had other people say that it sounds like she went through a little bit of a Bardo experience where it took her a little while to come to understand where she was, what had happened and had transitioned. And then I had some experiences that felt like when my mom was coming to me in dreams that she was still stuck. And then I'd had a couple of dreams where she was very peaceful. And just two days ago, I had a dream where she was stuck again. And I recently had interviewed a medium that said there's two types of dreams when people come to you when they pass. One is a true visitation. And the other dreams that are bad or disturbing are really more dreams that come from our subconscious. So then that confused me even more because then I'm like, well, <laughs> is this my subconscious trying to work out, you know, maybe fear that she's not okay? Or am I really experiencing a visitation where her soul still might be in some distress? So I would love to get your opinion on this and hear your experience and thoughts. And my, you know, my mom's accident, like I said, was, um, you know, a vehicle related, she was hit by the car. So I would consider that to be a pretty, pretty tough way to go. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that she had went through all of that. And I'm sorry that you went through it as her daughter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I try to stay to talking about what I have experienced. My training as an undergraduate was in sociology and in, in the social sciences, you try to be a careful observer of information, of behavior, of data, and then report it. If you want to go beyond reporting it to have an opinion about it, you're supposed to label that and say, here's the data. Here's my interpretation of the data. So what I feel, I, I, I can't give guided tours of the afterlife or answer everybody's questions about everything involving spirits, but I can say what it's, what I've experienced. And then I can generalize from it. So you're asking me to kind of generalize from it because I don't know you and I don't know your mother. Right. One thing that I've learned is that there's not a one size fits all about how people leave the body and what happens next. Sometimes religious dogma, or actually I've found that some folk who are not religious can be quite dogmatic in the way that they present their worldview. They think, you know, they're very certain that, that this is that and will tell you so. One thing I've have seen is that people leave the body in trauma in different ways. One blessing is that lots of times their guardian angel got them out of their body before the fire burned them, you know, or whatever, that you're left after the death of something like that, wondering what did it feel like, you know, or were her last seconds terror or something like that. Very often the people that have come to me have said, well, yes, it's true that I went through the windshield, but I wasn't in my body at the time. I was already taken out. There's one story that's really sweet in this book. This woman got killed in her own home. You wouldn't think that would be a sweet story, but she was an elderly woman who had fallen and broken or cracked some ribs and was 
mostly lingering on the couch. Neighbors brought her stuff to eat and she was sort of dozing when there was a sound at the door and she wasn't, she wondered, did I forget that somebody was coming by? Well, it was two people, two strangers coming into her house and she didn't like the looks of them. They looked scary. And she, she said, I tried to muster myself and protect my home. And she said, maybe I should have tried a different strategy because I was so old and frail. All they had to do was push me over and I was gone. But she said, you know, what happened next is my guardian. I didn't even know I had one, but he swooped me up and put me between the roof and the canopy of trees over my house. And then said, what I want you to do is pretend that you're a dog that just went swimming and shake it all off. And her guardian just, she said, well, he seemed to be in charge. And so I did what he said. And she said, I shook it all off. And then my, and then the guardian said, listen to this. It's unpleasant here. Let's leave. I don't know if you'd want to imagine it, but can you imagine your, your mom's guardian along the side of the road saying, it's unpleasant here. Let's leave. Yeah. <laughs> and then she said, he, he invited me to get on his back and it reminded me of a Superman movie where somebody rode on Superman's back. And she said, and she said, it also reminded me of a show I'd seen about people who tandem skydive. She said, I would never in my life have jumped out of a plane, but I saw that, that sometimes people that have never done that strap themselves to somebody that's expert in it and they jump out of a plane. She said, he seemed like a nice person and he was helping me out. And so I got on his back and we flew away. So that's just one person's experience of uh, enduring a sudden violent death and t telling a sweet story about it. But I've heard many such stories and a lot of them do involve having been spared the, the, the worst of the trauma. My body burned, but I wasn't in it, that kind of thing. And so what if we go to suicide, right? Because suicide yeah. in the Catholic religion people are usually damned to hell, right? If like, no, that's a, that used to be no. the case, but that, that changed during my lifetime. Okay. So what, what are the Catholic rules around suicide or what is the belief system that if you commit suicide now, where do you go? And well, you're right. When I was a child, you, if you had committed suicide, you weren't allowed a Catholic burial, you mm -hmm. weren't allowed a mass and so on. And kind of from the bottom up that that was changing, even in my childhood, it, it just seemed wrong and cruel. And enough kind of pastors and Catholic people just stood up and said, this is nonsense. We're not doing this anymore. And then the church at the upper levels changed its phrase. Mm -hmm. It isn't, it, people sometimes think that the, the church is a pyramid. The Catholic church looks so pyramidical because it has a Pope and Cardinals and stuff. Well, a lot of times it really is the energy is from the bottom up. So that, that formally changed in 1991. I was already a priest at the time when okay. a new prayer books came out and there's prayers in the funeral liturgy for suicides. Okay. And is there, is there a belief system around what happens to the soul if, if they do commit suicide? Well, there's a presumption that the person was troubled in some way, you know, and did they have clarity? Did they, did they, so, did they choose suicide or did they drift into it? I've, I've been with people that, that, died of something like suicide specifically when they are drug addicted and most of suicide in my experience is usually an attempt to stop pain mm -hmm. people are just in pain and nothing has helped or they can't take it anymore they need the pain to stop and they of course it, they also have to come to the truth later on that 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 choice was painful to other people and there's you used the word karma earlier, which isn't really a Christian idea, but this, the, but actions having consequences, some of which are negative that need to then be resolved later on. I wouldn't, when I've done funerals of people who committed suicide and mostly we pray for their good. It's a mystery of, you know, how they are, what they're doing now and so on. But we, we send them love by praying for them and hope that that helps them in their ongoing journey. Is there anywhere in the Bible or the Catholic faith that says that a person that commits suicide would not be allowed into heaven? No. No? Okay. Because I've, I've heard people who are of the Catholic faith feel very scared that their loved one would not make it into heaven and wouldn't be accepted into heaven because they committed suicide. 
Well, that's just not true. And there's probably, I don't know what your audience is and how expansive it is, but there's probably somebody listening to this conversation going, oh yeah, my, my loved one committed suicide. That's just not Catholic teaching that there's some, that they're damned to hell or anything like that. It's, that it's a, it's a very persistent misunderstanding because it's based in some truth. It, it used, that used to be the way that the church taught, but it changed. It's one of the reasons I, I like being the priest that I am is because I believe that people can change, institutions can change, and we can be agents of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So going back to these souls that are stuck, why do you think some souls get stuck? And how, can, how do you have an understanding of maybe some that will have a violent death, but they're not stuck and they just... They go into the afterlife with peace. Yes. It's largely a function of some idea that they created. For example, some people felt that they had been, they, they died doing something wrong and are going to be punished. And so they run away from the light, if you will, or try to isolate. It's not exactly possible to isolate because we're in a network, we're in a web where the, the field, whatever you want to call it, we're never absolutely alone, even when it seems that way. And the in Catholic teaching, at least your guardian is always with you. So sometimes people get stuck because they form an idea that they're unworthy, that they need to be punished, that, or sometimes they just are sick and tired of everybody and want everybody out of here. There are lots so, of different forms. So if I'm understanding you, potentially a person's belief system at the time of death could affect their immediate experience as they enter into the afterlife. Yes. And not just their belief system as a religious belief system, but just their imagination, what they think about themselves and think about other people. Sometimes they, sometimes they just isolate, sometimes they're overwhelmed because of what just happened to them. And they're not thinking clearly about anything until things calm down. You must have had that in your life at some point where you just can't make any decisions right now because it's all just too overwhelming and you need too to much. somehow sleep on it or come to some sort of calm before you can then make a decision. It's sort of like that. Okay. Can we go back to when you were talking about sometimes the angels coming through you? My audience might call that a form of channeling. Yeah. I'm not sure if, if you use that same terminology or not. But... I don't because it's radioactive in, in my church body and I'm trying to stay a priest in good standing and not a former priest. So I don't use that word, but I, I don't, I, I don't find that word. You have a channel, don't you? D- don't you have a TV channel? We do. Yep. Is that evil? It's just, it's also in Spanish, it's the word canal. Mm-hmm. A canal isn't evil. It's just a, it's just a way that energy, perhaps water moves through a space. I don't think that word necessarily has to be so frightening, but, but people think of it badly. And so I don't use it to, to, to talk about myself. Right. So what would, what would the wording be that you use when the angel comes through? Is that more of the prophetic? Yes. Thank you. That I, I think of it as prophetic gift. A prophetic gift. Okay. So when, when you're with your prayer partner and you're going over the story that you receive, is the angel that comes through for you, the person who died is that the angel, like their angel or their guardian? Yes, it's their guardian. With you? Almost all the time, it's the guardian of the one who we're helping that day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are situations where people are clustered in a group, people who died in the same way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they're in some sort of what might be sort of like a holding area, some sort of place where they can all just be, but they're really not ready or receptive to assistance. They're just, they're just in this place. And once in a while, there'll be one where somebody becomes the spokesperson and their guardian becomes their assistant, but the, their moving, uh, is attractive to other people and they move together. How, now I understand that you only work with souls that come to you in dreams. That's right. 
Okay. So as you've been doing this work, do you have people coming to you saying, you know, please, Father Nathan, contact my loved one and make sure that they're okay? Do you have people that want? I do. I do that. And I put a little on my website, which is the way that people would find me. I have a little document that you have to move through before sending me an email. And we state that, that I, I, I only deal with people that came to me. And if you're looking for a mediumship, that's not what I do. Right. So with some of the stories that you've told in your books, have you ever had anyone reach out to you to say, I think this is my family member? I think I know who this person is. Not yet. I anticipate that one of these days that'll happen. But but no, that hasn't happened quite yet. And then I'm also curious to know, do you have conversations with God and understanding why God gave you this gift and why you're doing the work that you're doing? Is there a higher message from above, from the creator that has kind of given you your assignment and has spoken to you about why you've been chosen for this work? Well, thank you for asking. I understood as a very little kid because I was taught and it sounded true to me that I would live after I died. You know, can you remember when you understood at what age you understood that you were immortal and that you would die one day? Can you think back in your own life about how early did you understand that to be true? Did you see the dead bird on the sidewalk and know what a dead thing looked like and understand that one day you would be that. Yeah. It was probably my great grandmother's funeral. Yeah. It's a loved one. Um, Well, I understood that I would, that I and all the people, all the other human people and all the animals would die. Uh, but I was also taught that you, you would leave this kind of body, but you would have a next kind that they'll still be you. And that's why we pray for our loved ones that have died already because they're still themselves. They're just in a different way in a different place. So it's called the Easter proclamation. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's the church's message in a sentence. We're not just happy for him. Isn't that good for him? He's showing us what we all are. And that Good Friday turns into Easter Sunday pretty quickly. It's only three days. (laughs) It might not be that for you. I mean, your mother's death is not yet three years ago. And there might be aspects of it that you still move through, but there's probably some of them that you already look back upon as a completed, I'm finished that part of my grief or something. Right. Anyway, I just believe that the truth that we all survive our deaths is my mission. And it might be being played out in a way that is somewhat extraordinary, but it's basic. It's, it's the basic message. Well, I wonder too, you know, with the stories that you're able to tell in your books of these traumatic deaths that people have and, you know, the family members that are left here on earth to be able to process them, even though nobody as of yet has come to you to say, I think that might be my, my family member, what I kind of get as an overall purpose or intention is that these stories could bring a lot of peace and potentially closure to those who are still on earth suffering and really feeling uneasy about the way that their loved one has passed. And hearing these stories and hearing these accounts that you're sharing could bring somebody just more peace and ease around their loved one's death. And, and that's, well, that's reason enough to do it, isn't it? Uh, I, and I do get comments like that from people who have read the books or listened to them on tape. They're all available as audiobooks, which is really sweet because it's usually in my voice and in the voices of the prayer partners that actually were in the session. So it has a kind of fly on the wall feel to it that I was going. Yeah, there's plenty, been plenty of people that have been, you know, consoled about what it might be like for my loved one who died. And I never thought of it that way. I hope, I hope it was that way. The other thing is that in the second book, we, we, when we chose the stories to tell, there are 13 of them, we chose them with an idea toward, is there some lesson that would benefit the reader that comes through this person's because a lot of people are stuck here. Your mom, you mentioned that she suffered from addictions of different kinds. That's pretty classic stuckness. It's hard. The addicts had a, have a real hard time of getting out of that ditch. You know, they spin their wheels and as much as they try, they, they don't always make it out of the ditch. There's a lot, and it doesn't have to be addiction, although that's a great big category. Um, mm-hmm. so many people suffer from it. 
but it can also just be painting yourself into a corner with a thought like nobody loves me. <laughs> I'm no good. I'm stupid. You know, I'll never amount to anything. People get into could all kind of ideas where they block off positive energy because of a thought that they've believed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these stories help people say, yeah, wait a minute, maybe it is time for me to reconsider. I'd also like to hear your idea on what heaven is. Is it an actual location and place that people go to, or is heaven a word used to describe the larger, you know, consciousness system that we have out there of the, of the great creation? Yes. Or all of the above. I, I, I do a lot of retreat work and seminars and things, and I, I love words and heaven in, in Spanish is cielo, C-I-E-L-O. And in Spanish, they use the same word cielo to describe both the place where angels fly around or the place where birds fly around. It's sky or it's the afterlife. It's both. You have to know from context what the speaker is talking about. In English, we can say the heavens are glorious today on a, uh, on a beautiful morning. We don't do that very often. It's kind of poetic, but I believe that we're already surrounded by the sky and we're already surrounded by the realm where our loved ones are. And that's part of why they can tap into me is because we're next to each other. We're like on different wavelengths, something like the radio channel, when you, you, you get a station that's fuzzy and going in and out, but maybe if you turn it just a little bit this way, it gets to clarity and a stronger signal. Sometimes when people are talking to me, they have to stop because they're getting more emotional. At the beginning of a conversation, we're getting acquainted. And then the question comes, so tell us about how you died. Well, they say, they'll type, take a sort of a deep breath and say, I'm going to need a moment. And then they talk about calibrating, about making their wavelength match mine. They see something about my energy as sort of a rise and fall. Like in, in medical dramas, there's always a picture of a heartbeat or something that's going up and down that, that we have some sort of energy that has a signal like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I need to conform mine better to yours. Hang on just a moment. And then we sync better. And then they can talk about the thing that's more emotional. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've heard of something similar to like, to that from other guests that I've had on where I think we were in a conversation about grief and how grief can kind of have a very low, slow frequency level. And our, our loved ones are kind of riding high in a very high, fast type of frequency. Yeah. And in order for us to connect, like you said, or sync, it's important for us to raise our frequency to a level because they also have to work to come down, yes. you know, for us to meet. And, and you mentioned that you have a meditation practice. And yeah. I think regardless of how that plays into organized religions of different kinds, having a, a quietude, having some regular practice of trying to be still, whatever form that takes, helps raise our vibration. It helps us, for one thing, in the meditative, I'm a semi-contemplative. We were, my religious order was one of the first to leave the monasteries in Europe. And we went out into public ministry, but with the heart of a monk. So I'm supposed to be a, a contemplative soul doing what I do. And when you, when you practice contemplation and you told me that you do, do you sometimes get to what they call the observer position where you can kind of look down and see yourself? Absolutely. Higher self. Yep. Again, different religious things are going to have different words to describe things, but the, be able to be the observer of yourself and that can help you get unstuck because you don't buy the nonsense of whatever your drama person is all upset about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you foresee yourself staying within, you know, being a Catholic priest or does that restrict you in any ways? Do you ever see yourself just saying, I was a former Catholic priest to be able to maybe move into other dimensions or use other language or be able to freely express and describe your experiences that aren't so confined and structured to keeping you in a little bit of a box. All right. Does it constrict? I would say that my, my membership and my religious order, my brotherhood and, and my church 
constricts me only in the way that love constricts us at all. I don't know if you're a married person or a sibling or whatever, but loving anyone is a joy and a delight. And it comes with restrictions because people have limits and you might, you, you're, if you, you, it's part of the calculus. I did lots and lots of weddings as I was a campus minister, most of my career, it's part of what people have to discern before they make a lifelong vow to be with this other person, because this other person is also is as joyful as they make you be. They also have their limits and you, you might have to be constrained in some way in order to make your life mesh with theirs. So that's the way I think of it. I'm, 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 I'm a member of my religious body and my church, and I'm, I want to love the whole of them, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> and, and, and otherwise I just think I would be opting out of life somehow and insisting that the world conform to my standards before I deign to be a part of it. Okay, great. And then I have one last question and it's for kind of, it's kind of a side question, but it was one in the talking points that you guys had sent over. And I just thought, what does he mean by this? And it was sometimes celebrities can help souls cross over. I, so, I, this was a surprise to me, but you know how we hear of people like, I don't know, Bono or uh, I don't know, just about any kind of celebrity can choose to have a free concert for like relief of some tragedy or something that lots of, and then many celebrities cr take some of their money and create a foundation. And then they have some mission, you know, that they sp specifically love. Celebrities on, on this plane often use their celebrity to do good. And to lift up people, baseball players go to the hospital to visit the cancer kid or whatever. And just the fact they know that they can brighten a room just because they're a big deal. Well, some of them do that in the afterlife, particularly with these broken hearted little people that I deal with. The idea that Einstein came for you to help you cross, you know, or, or Abraham Lincoln or whatever. Sometimes they'll just show up just because their presence makes somebody feel important. And that can be important in the crossing. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Well, we're running out of time and this was just so fascinating. And I well, let's do it again. We yeah. create more time if you want to. I'd love to come back as a, 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 a second time if you like. I would love that because I have a feeling that people will listen to this and I'm, we're going to get a lot of feedback, a lot of questions. And I had another person recently on and the podcast, again, had a lot to do being in relationship and marrying otherworldly beings. And oh. so it was very fascinating, but it really tickled some people's feathers. And I was like, I have to have this guest back on to ask these questions that some people were curious about. So I have a feeling we might have you back and get you to answer some questions that people have. But before we end today, I I would love for you to let our listeners know where they can find more about you, your books, and... Well, there are two of them. This is what what they look like. The first one is helping stuck souls cross over. The second one looks very much like it because we wanted to follow the brand and establish it, but it has a big two in the middle of it because it's the second one. We crossed out the word stuck because we discovered that not all of them were so much stuck as they just needed extra help. They... They just needed the ICU or they, they needed something and they weren't so much stuck. They just needed extra help. They can be found on my website, that which is my name, Nathan, which N-A-T-H-A-N dash castle, C-A-S-T-L-E, Nathan dash castle.com. The books are on Amazon. You can just, you know, type in my name, Nathan Castle, and it takes you to, they're available in, you know, paper book form, ebook form, and audible. If people want to contact me, I do ask that they first read at least the first book or listen to it because they often want to ask me questions that are answered in the book. And so I, if we're going to have a conversation, I'd rather it be a really well-informed one. So let's do that first and then be in touch. And I often do zoom calls with people. I don't do mediumship. And so I, I, I can help people dispose themselves to per, perhaps have messages from their loved one. I can teach them Catholic practices that I was taught. So anyway, if I can be of help to any of your listeners and viewers, that's what I'm here to do. Okay, lovely. So everybody read the book first before you contact him. And if you guys would like me to have Father Nathan back on here, please either direct 
definitely email me any questions at april at path11productions.com. Or you know that once our podcasts are ready to go out, we post them on Facebook and our Instagram page. You can also watch this interview on Path 11 TV. And in this recording that we have here, we are giving away a 50% off code show 50. If you would like to sign up for a subscription for Path 11 TV. Now the podcasts that we put up there are free, so you don't have to subscribe to Path 11 TV to watch this, but this is where you can watch the video portion of it and, you know, make some comments and let us know. And we will have him back on to answer any questions that maybe I didn't ask that you had, or maybe some things that you heard here that sparked more questions in your mind. Yeah. So, let me uh, add another thing, if I may. Yeah. When, if you go on my website up in the, on the upper left, there's one of those little envelope icons that creates an email. Mm-hmm. That's the way to contact me. I don't like Facebook Messenger or I also have a YouTube channel. If you go on the website up in the upper right is the icon for YouTube. And there's a lot of content that isn't related specifically to this topic. That's more on teachings that mm-hmm. might, you know, questions that might come up, but the way, and, and if people like make a comment on a YouTube, I just don't have all the hours in the day to find all the social media where everybody said anything. If you really want me to reply to something, send me an email. I'm on my email all the time. Perfect. And I would agree with that too, because I'm not on all of our social media accounts constantly, but email is the quickest way. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. You were You've been delightful. Guest. Thank you for having me on. Yes, it was wonderful. And I thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I will bring you another exceptional guest next Monday. So take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path11TV today. Bye for now.